I'm Ellie Bangs. I'm the author of the relatively new uh, post-apocalyptic cyberpunk novel, Unity, out now, wherever books are sold. This is a continuing episode of a series with novelist Ellie Bangs, author of Unity. So she has a fragment, one fragment personality or multiple fragments she's trying to uh, rebuild. So she has just one personality, which is kind of a theme is that this, this gestalt mind that forms is, has the accumulated life experience of many people, but is essentially just one unitary consciousness. And that's true of her as well. She has lifetimes of experience herself. <sighs> Got it. Got it. Okay. Let's go back to what she wants to do. If I recall, you you said something about recombining or... Please, please tell me about that again. Essentially, there was years ago, may still be, this, this huge consciousness with hundreds of members that was out in the world. And it, at one point, it kind of split itself into a few subgroups that went out and did different things in different places. And Danae was part of one of these groups that came under attack and really traumatically she lost all of all of the other bodies that were part of this group. So she's been isolated. She doesn't know actually if any of the rest of her is still out there. But her her hope and her ambition is to get out there and travel to a place where she where the, all the parts of her consciousness have historically come together every seven years and basically kind of hope that they're there so that she can recontact and reconnect with them. And But it's complicated because, well, okay, that's spoilers. So I won't get into that. I'll just say that there are complicating factors and there are reasons why her going back is kind of a, a desperate move that she doesn't actually think she'll be accepted if she does find them. She just kind of needs to see them again because oh. that's who she is. That's the rest of herself. Okay, so she has an emotional need, it sounds like. Not necessarily, and maybe rational as well, but at least emotional need to go do this thing and uh, she doesn't know she'll be accepted. So that sounds that sounds a little scary there. Wow. All right. All right. So I think this is this is probably an appropriate segment since we've already had some mild spoilers here. And I I have done readings in the past starting from the beginning, and I think I'm just going to start this kind of right in the middle, but with a part of Danae's backstory. So this is this part is from her perspective. I will never have any one beginning. I've been born 223 times, and each of those first breaths was my first breath. Each of those lives in their own time and place became my life. I am the confluence of everything those 223 people ever were, said and did, thought and felt, knew and wondered, both apart from each other and as me. 
Once I was born in Jersey City in the year 1998, a citizen of what was not yet then widely referred to as the American Empire. I was an actress, a mother, a grandmother, and I witnessed the worst decades of the collapse myself. I heard the gunfire, the rockets, and jet engines with my own ears. And when the bomb took my hearing, I went on seeing the burning cities, the ever-changing world maps in which whole countries disappeared into unmarked gray zones and were not replaced. And when age took my sight, I went on feeling the collapse and the rattle of my bones at distant concussions and the words my children and grandchildren signed into my arthritic fingers. One day when I was nearly a hundred years old, just when I thought I had finally reached the end of my life, I met someone who told me, patiently repeating everything I didn't understand or could not at first believe, that she was not what she appeared to be, not a single face with a single life story, but a unified consciousness created by the fusion of hundreds of people. The body in which I lived as her through all the years of the collapse to the ripe age of 103 died long ago, but I am her and I am alive. Once I was born in the same nuclear fire my other self had witnessed, delivered into a suit jacket in the lee of an overturned car, just as the first of the radioactive ash began to fall like snow. And I swear I still remember the first sound I heard when my infant ears left the womb, my mother's last screams as much in pain as in rage and terror at the world she knew she was giving me to. No one expected me to live. But despite them all, despite the fallout, despite the inventive geometries my bones assumed with time and the arbitrary cruelty that sometimes attracted, I grew into a man. I traveled far. I helped rebuild and I studied the reconstruction and the assumptions with which it was undertaken, the litany of curious disconnects between each person's versions of the past they wanted to resurrect. One I'd never seen myself. And I wrote down all my observations of memory, and strangers read them. I became a philosopher. I was a husband, a father, a grandfather. Then one day, when I was an old man who thought he had it all figured out, one of my students approached me with what sounded like some kind of metaphor or thought experiment. It took me time to believe him when he told me who and what he was. When I did believe, and when I'd finally wrapped my head around it all, I knew I had to try it for myself. Once I was a physicist in Senegal whose life work was using gravity waves to study primordial black hole collisions in the far reaches of the observable universe. Once I spent my summers studying the geology of Antarctica and never dreamed of a day when the frozen wastelands I trudged across would be warm enough to host cities and the emerald green expanses of algae fields. Once I was a mu musical prodigy, excuse me, in Shanghai, long before it was part of NORPAC, once I was a holographic artist in Argentina before it was Comunidad. The bodies in which all of these lives began are long gone, but I am all of them. I am young and old, poor and rich, black and brown and white, and I am men and women and a dozen other genders. I'm a native speaker of 50 tongues. I am from everywhere. On a hot day 57 years ago, I struggled, as I always do, to find the words to explain all this to a colleague, a gifted molecular biologist named Zinn. I loved him. 
I also needed him. I needed to become him and let him become me because the world was dying and he was my best hope of saving it. That makes you what? A hive mind? He asked. He was staring at me, trying to understand. We were lying naked on his bed. I was speaking to him through one of my male bodies. He liked that body, and I liked being liked from within it. Hive mind makes it sound like my bodies are all just my mindless thralls, I chuckled. I tapped my chest. I am this person. For 24 years, I was only him, and now he's part of the gestalt I am now. Okay, Zen said, so you're a collective consciousness? I sighed and said, better, but the word collective still connotes distinct parts working together but remaining distinct. I'm not a group, I'm one person, not a we, but an I. And I'm the same person now, out of unity, that I would be if I were in unity, just a lot smaller. And, well, not as smart. What terms would you use then, he said. Words, words, I said. Language is a painfully inefficient way to copy a thought from one brain to another. That was the first year of blood rain, the year the infamous weaponized lysivirus strain to which over a billion deaths are now attributed began its accelerating spread across Europe. I had met Zinn in a lab in France while we were both working on a vaccine, but we both knew the problem was too vast. It was spreading and mutating too quickly. Someone had engineered it to resist all the approaches we were trying to take to it. All our simulations showed that we were rapidly approaching a point of no return past which its spread across the whole Earth would become logistically irreversible. And if... If we unify like you're suggesting, Zinn said, and I answered, then together we'll become a new iteration of my consciousness. We'll become someone who knows everything you know and everything I know, someone who can make connections we can't, conceive of solutions we're not able to, not as separate people. But it'll be like dying, he said. I remember saying, as him, before he was me. Won't it? And like being born, I said, both and neither. Even as we spoke, I was in a dozen other places, in other bodies, having similar conversations with other people I needed to be. Virologists, epidemiologists, genetic engineers, disaster relief workers. Many of them decided against joining my gestalt, but some did. And when we unified, and the whole of me knew everything they had ever known, I brought my entire intellect to bear on the problem. It took two years in chronological time, but that was almost a century of internal experience, to reverse engineer the virus and perfect an immunity, and a third year to engineer my own strain, even more contagious but benign, to act as a self-replicating vaccine in the absence of any working infrastructure to distribute injections. Those were some of the hardest years of my life. None of my bodies slept a full night. Over the course of the project, I was forced to sacrifice six of them to gather all the data I needed. I know what it's like to die of blood rain. I've felt it. The bottomless malaise, the paranoia, the bone-cracking muscle spasms. I remember it all up until the moment of brain death. Those were days when the complexity of the virus and its seemingly limitless ability to mutate filled me with so much despair. 
Even when I felt confident I was on the right track, I knew every second I delayed might mean thousands more died before I could help. I felt no sense of accomplishment in my eventual success. The only way I know how to think about the project is to regret every mistake, every distraction and dead end. I would give anything to go back and do it faster. I have no one beginning, but Unity itself began with a woman named Sybil, who 70 years ago helped me create the first unifier prototype. The body she was born into is long dead now, yet I am her as much as I am anyone else, and I am alive. It was less an invention than an adaptation. Mind-to-mind -mind interfaces had existed on a superficial level since the closing days of the American era, developed by the Imperial military in a radical attempt to enhance the coordination of elite, elite commando units. After the collapse, the designs were uncovered by looters and spent the next decades circulating among amateurs as a sort of fringe scientific novelty. You and your friends might put on helmets and switch the box on, and if you could ignore the uncomfortable tingling sensation and focus very hard, you might hear the faintest whispers of their inner monologues crossing the wires like tin cans and string drawn between your souls. When I was Sybil, I was one of three cybernetic students who first studied the direct neural interface as a curiosity, but soon realized that we were looking at only a crude proof of concept for something far more significant. We built on the old American design. Simple modifications enhanced the quality of the link by orders of magnitude, and before long we could transmit complete thoughts, ideas, emotions, sensations, even whole memories. From there, we knew we were only one step short of a real breakthrough, one that might change what it meant to be human. Nice, nice. No, I, I like that section. It really painted the picture pretty well, and I really appreciate the, how it started off with, uh, with two lovers in bed and then coming up into this very weird topic of like, hey, <laughs> join a collective consciousness. And uh, uh, wow, yeah, no, that, and, and I really appreciate how it uses a solution to a big problem. That is pretty awesome. Thank you for that. Thanks for having me. And I hope that wasn't too dark. I kept thinking as I'm about no. like, wow, this is darker than I remember it being. Oh, no, I think it was great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, yeah. No, I was all, all very good. It, uh, it, and it filled out, it fleshed out a lot of the things that you were, we were talking around a little bit earlier. What's next for Ellie Bangs? I'm writing a trilogy that I probably shouldn't say too much about. I just sent the manuscript to my agent, so I'm very nervously waiting to hear back whether he uh, gives me the thumbs up to start selling it or wants revisions or tells me that I'm I'm fired and he never wants to read my work again. So we'll, <laughs> we'll find out pretty soon here. And I've also actually got a short story coming out in Lightspeed magazine in just a couple days, which I'm very excited about. Nice. What's the title? It is called Space Pirate Queen of the Ten Billion Utopias. Uh, it is a kind of off-the-wall story about interdimensional space piracy. Hi, I'm Ellie Bangs. I'm the author of the relatively new uh 
post-apocalyptic cyberpunk novel Unity, out now, wherever books are sold. And if I could make a call to action, I think given the, the content of my book and also the things that I think about a lot, it would probably be to, to check out and consider supporting the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists, which is an organization that initially developed to kind of raise awareness and talk about the threat of nuclear war, which is, is still something they work on, which I think is excellent. But now they kind of address every looming existential threat to the, the human race, which I think is really important. And we have so many things to worry about in our daily lives, but I think it's still worth thinking about how to how to save the human race from various things. So. <laughs> I don't know if that's a noble pursuit. I'm not sure. <laughs> so, and how would one find the bulletin? Is it a, like a Google search? It is just called uh, thebulletin.org. Two L's, one T. All right, cool. Hey, thanks, Ellie. That's awesome. And uh, I look forward to... I'm excited on behalf of the audience to hear that reading. That was really nice. And, and, and enjoy your book, of course. However you found sci-fi thoughts, be it iTunes, Stitcher, or any of the other podcast aggregation services, if you've enjoyed the show, go ahead and do us a favor. Go to wherever you get this podcast and leave us a review, even clicking a few stars. And this will help out the show in many ways. In every episode of Sci-Fi Thoughts, there are show notes. And those show notes contain convenient things such as the link to get Ellie Bang's book, Unity. So if you don't know where the show notes are, open up your podcast player and you should find them in your device. If you downloaded this from a website, go back to the website where you got this MP3 and you will see show notes there. This is the last episode of the series of Unity with Ellie Bangs. If you're like my friend Barb and you missed the first episode of the series, the series started with episode 165. You can find that episode in the show archive and you can find that by Googling Sci-Fi Thoughts Unity.